Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC 224, Amanda Nunes versus Raquel Pennington. And Shaq, it's going down this weekend, UFC 224, another pay-per-view, this time in Brazil. And uh, let's do the fucking thing, man. Yeah, man, this card's pretty much stacked from top to bottom. I mean, we got a combination of everything. We got, you know, Diaper Play Albini. We got that little Frog McKenzie in her fake accent. I mean, we got like a like a Bellator main event with uh, Vitor Lietos, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, and, you know, in that main event, man, I got a weird feeling, you know, not necessarily about the fight, but, you know, these uh, chicks are very familiar with each other and each other's girlfriends. So uh, I think Blues are still going to have a good time afterwards. Oh, I heard the stories uh, about what went down at ATT with those four. So, uh, you know, we'll definitely talk about that a little bit in the main event. But real quick, before we break down this card, our boy and Best Fight Big sponsored athlete, Emmanuel El Matador Sanchez, he went out there on Paramount Network repping the Best Fight Picks logo. Now, we both knew he was going to win, but he went out there and won in the first round with a standing arm triangle. I can't recall the last time I saw a standing arm triangle in pro MMA, and uh, Manny Sanchez just uh, punched his uh, ticket to a title shot. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully uh, Bellator doesn't fuck him over. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he uh, that was expected. I mean, uh, I thought it was going to be an easy contest, and he handled uh, Cecilia exactly the way he should have. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, in honor of Manny Sanchez's big victory, we're going to be extending our promo code MATADOR for 15% off any package up until UFC 224. After UFC 224, we're not using the MATADOR code, so go ahead and take advantage of it. We got two consensus max bets this week. One of them is still uh, nicely priced, so you know the deal when we have consensus max bets on the line. And Shaq, before we break down this card, man, Darren Till posted some sparring footage of him and... uh. One of his sparring partners, and you know he uh, he beat the fuck out that boy, and a lot of people had an issue with it because they felt like he was kind of being a bully a little bit. I kind of found it a little bit entertaining. You know, we don't know the circumstance, we don't know if that was the the thirteenth round of a total war, and it is what it is. But you know, based off that ten second clip, people are saying that that guy doesn't belong in there with him, and we really don't know the circumstances. So, were you bothered with Darren Till posting that footage, or was it just a routine, uh, you know, entertainment? Um, you know, because one, we no one really knows the facts. I mean, um, look, I mean, this is MMA. There's a there's a lot of amateurs and kids that get paid to get a uh, get fucked up in that cage. You know what I'm saying? I, I honestly feel like that's probably not the first time that's happened. And I feel like, I mean, after he got hit with one of those shots, he was shaking his head, uh, like he was nodding his head, yes. So I think that's a normal thing. I mean. This is a fight business, you know what I'm saying? Some some people believe in certain training methods and certain people believe in others. So, you know, um, I mean, look at AKA. They pretty much fight in there, you know what I'm saying? So uh, I really didn't give two shits about it, to be honest. I think uh, that's something that happens on the normal. And that probably, uh, I feel like, you know, that's their training methods. I feel like, you know, they want Darren Till to be a t- uh, turned-on motherfucker in that cage and, to do that, uh, he needs to fuck people up on a daily basis. So, uh, I really didn't care. Yeah, I personally didn't have an issue with it either because, I mean, if we're going to sit here and cry, that means that he shouldn't be posting any more of those videos. And, bro, I want to see more of that footage. It was uh, pretty damn entertaining. So, yeah, I, I, had, mean, I had zero I remember, issues. I remember in Pacific, back when Rafael Dos Anjos was champion and he was training at Kings of my he was sparring with a, looked like a normal... A normal white guy. The guy didn't even look like a fighter, to be honest. 
And I mean, RDA had him boxing gloves, boxing gloves and had him full mounted smashing his head in. So, you know, I think it's just certain gym coaches have certain methods and other gym coaches have certain other ones. So. This is very true. So before we break down this card start to finish, make sure you go to bestfightpicks.com. Use the promo code MATADOR to save 15% off any package. And check, uh, here we go. Let's do this whole card because first up in the middleweight division, we got Marcus Maluco Perez. He's minus 325. The comeback on James Boknovic is plus 265. Now, uh, the last time we broke down a card in Brazil, you know, I was I was trying to give Brazil a little bit of credit, but man, did they prove me wrong because they don't even have hot water for the guys to cut weight. You know, the weight situation with Prezeris. So, you know, I was trying to be like, but bro, Machida versus Phil Davis was in Brazil in the American one, but uh, it turns out there really are some dirty tactics there. Now, the reason I bring that up is because uh, my boy James Boknovic, uh, I saw him on the regional scene getting dropped by guys that are 4 and 14. Now we're flying the kid out to Brazil to fight uh, the very tough Marcus Perez. Who you got in this matchup? Yeah, I'm going to take Perez in this one. I think Boknovic, I think uh, he's a case of, you know, he was just the best the best jobber out on the local scene, and he got the call. So I don't think he uh, is going to win a fight in the UFC. I think he's a, you know, he's a tough guy, but I think he's a local scene fighter. I don't think he's a UFC fighter. Like I said, I just think he was the best jobber out of all those dudes in Milwaukee. Like you said, he's getting dropped by three and thirteen guys, fifteen. You know, the typical Friday night jobber that takes it out every Friday night. So, um, I'm gonna go with Perez in this one, even though Perez did take a severe ass open against Eric Anders. I was against Eric Anders. He also did take Anders down two times, and he is small for on 185, but I'll tell you right now, he can't make 170, and uh, I think he's going to spook Boxnovic. I think the second this fight hits the mat, uh, I see a submission within the first two rounds. Yeah, you know, one thing we got to note is that James Boknovic will have an 8-inch reach advantage in this matchup, but also in his last fight against Trevin Giles, he had quite a he had quite the reach advantage there too, Shaq. Yeah, he's 6'4", or 81-inch reach, but, you know, you got to know how to use that range. And uh, I just think that, you know, he's a first-round finisher. All his fights been in the first round. The one time he uh, did go out the first round, he ended up on a stretcher. So, um, you know, I think he's a tough kid, but I just don't think uh, he's ready for the years. If you go back and watch that fight with Trevin Giles, uh, devastating knockout. Absolutely vicious. And now they're flying the kid out to Brazil. And, I mean, look, like we already mentioned, on the regional scene, he's getting dropped by guys that are 4-14, and 14, and that's no exaggeration. I mean, my boy Rashad Brooks is 4-14. and 14. You know, he's getting dropped by Eddie Lara, who, like you mentioned, is the jobber that, you know, takes a fight every Friday night and takes that L. So these are the kind of guys that are having success against James Boknovic. So with Marcus Perez, I mean, look, he took down Eric Anders twice, like you mentioned. He attacked a submission, and, you know, I speak to, uh, with Eric Anders regularly, and uh, Eric said... The submission wasn't in deep at all, but you know when you have a football neck like Eric Anders, I, I wouldn't expect it to be. But with a guy like James Bachnevik, who's just a tall, goofy guy, I do think Marcus is going to have a lot of success, and I see it being a finish as well. So I'm going to go with the favorite here, uh, Marcus Perez, for the victory. Now next up in the welterweight division, this is a very good matchup. We got Ramazan Amiv. He's minus 220. The comeback on Alberto Mina is plus 180. I love this fight, man. I, both of these guys are absolute warriors. Who who you give the edge to here? Yeah, man. Both of these guys have been uh, both of these guys have cashed for me in the past. And my boy Alberto, when he fought uh, uh, Yoshihiro Akiyama back in the day, even though uh, everyone thought it was controversial, I was glad to take the win. But uh, and my boy Amazon did exactly what I needed him to do against Alvi, and uh, now he's making that cut to one seventy. So 
you know, it's kind of, we really don't see that too, these days. We see guys moving up, not down. So, you know, do I have my concerns about him dropping the 170? No, not really, because Ramazan strikes me as the consummate professional. You know what I'm saying? He uh, is very experienced, two-time M1 global champion, very as tested as you can get for a guy with only one UFC fight. Um, I like to call him the tie-up master because in that clinch, Ramazan will drain that clock on you all day and one on points and because uh, his tie-ups are just that good. And um, Alberto Mina, man, it seems like he's, uh, you know, he's coming off another, what, two-year layoff? Exactly. Something like that. Two-year layoff. The thing is, he's always coming off a layoff. So uh, I don't know if I should put that much stock into it, but the thing is, he is getting older and older and older and coming off these layoffs after layoffs. Eventually, especially him being undefeated, eventually you're going to lose a fight. So I am going to go with Ramazan here. I do think uh, Alberto needs to finish him in Brazil, just the way Ramazan's style is. I just see him being in control um, a lot of, on that fence, you know, sucking out that energy of uh, Alberto Mina. And then I just think he needs to stay conscious. We know Alberto's going to try a lot of wild, crazy shit. We remember that uh, shit show ends up, shit show uh, Anzai fight. And uh, he's got a wild techniques. The kid's undefeated, so he's no such, but I do think Ramazan will uh, pull out a decision here. You know, it's funny you say the kid's undefeated because he's a. Uh in his mid-30s, but you know, Alberto Mina, I'll tell you what, for a guy that's always coming off a layoff, he's very exciting, he's very well-rounded, obviously we know about his jiu-jitsu black belt, but in the UFC, he's been going out there and knocking dudes out, and the fight that he had against a grappler in Akiyama, uh, he showed that if he wants to keep the fight standing, he can keep it standing, because we know Akiyama's got that judo background, but here against Amiv, like you already mentioned, and you mentioned this the last time we broke down the Mew fight because we did catch that bet against Sam Alvey at plus 100, you called him a tie-up master. And I couldn't say it better myself, man, because if you go back and you watch some of Ramazan Amiv's past fights, this is a guy that paid his dues before he got to the UFC. This is a guy that already had those five-round wars in Russia. He went out there with my boy Vichali. They had a serious knock. And now he's in the UFC, and it's not you know a case like James Bachnovic where you know you're getting dropped by four and fourteen jobbers and you don't even belong. Ramazan's paid those dues, so for him to take up this to take this step up in competition against Mina, it's really no big deal. You can already go ahead and throw Ramazan in there with the top twenty guys, and I think he'd perform well. I also think that Alberto Mina would perform well. The thing with this matchup specifically is that there's nothing wild about Amiv's style. He's very uh, efficient with what he wants to do. He knows exactly where he wants to take the fight. And he's super hard to defeat in those areas. And what I'm referring to is the clinch. So, you know, if Osiris Maya is refing this fight, I think there's going to be times when they break up uh, the action a little bit quick. But it's not like Amiv is some, you know, some slouch in, uh, in the standing distance either. He's good everywhere the fight goes. And I think he's going to have a slight edge here over Mina, so I actually do think the minus 220 price here is warranted, and I'm going to go with the favorite, Ramazan Amiv, via unanimous decision. Now next up, in the middleweight division, we got Jack the Joker Hermanson. He's minus 155. The comeback on Talis Leches is plus 135. Now, Shaq, Jack is 0-2 in Brazil. Now he's trying to make the third time the charm, and luckily for him, he's not fighting an athletic specimen like Tiago Maheta Santos, like Cesar Mutanchi Ferreira. Now he's fighting an old man on his way out. You think third time's going to be the charm for the Joker here? 
Yeah, man, it's a good fight, man. Jack uh, definitely let a lot of people down his last fight in Brazil. And uh, like you said, he is 0-2 in Brazil. Um, but I think those guys that he fought are operating at a completely different frequency. You know, uh, Cesar Ferreira, I mean, he's won, like, what, four out of his last five, five, five out of his last six, something like that. Um, then we got uh, Thiago Mejeda Santos, you know. Um, I feel like that's just a – if uh, if you're not more athletic – or as fast as Thiago Mejia Santos, you know, he's going he's gonna, to uh, butcher you, you know what I'm saying? So I think uh, Hermanson um, definitely has a path to victory. Talos is, uh, I do think he's on his way out. I think Talos is super tough. You know, like we've been saying in the past, that nobody now saw for the men. Uh, it's just, uh, it's dying out the game. We've been seeing it over and over again. Um, and Talos, you know, I think uh, it's pretty clear, you know, once you stop his first takedown and you uh, let him know that he's just not going to take you down, he uh, tends to, you know, mentally diminish. And uh, I think it's a good matchup for that because I think Jack's got a serious cardio advantage. Um, I think Talos is getting more unstable on his feet day by day. Just like that Kristoff fight, um, you know, the European. I feel like the European style movement will take Jack a long way in this fight. I think he's going to run circles around him. I think Talos is going to have a hard time finding him. I think uh, early he's going to come with a big explosion. And when Talos gets tired, it's pretty simple. I mean, it's just a couple of big hooks, uh, a takedown. If you stop that takedown, he might go for a sacrifice throw or a lateral drop and go to his back. And I think uh, Jack will smash his face in once that happens. So I'm going to go with uh, Jack. I think their time is the charm. Um, like I said, I think Talos is getting up there and damaged. I think the best thing fight was his raw. The Musashi fight was a hellacious beating. The Kristoff fight was a hellacious beating. The Brad Tavares fight was a hellacious beating. And he's not fighting Chris Mosey with no takedown defense. He's not fighting Sam Alvey who doesn't move. So uh, I'm going to go with uh, Jack Hermanson. Yeah. I agree. I think third time will be the charm here. You know, a lot of people were mentioning how, you know, Jack, he, he Jack was very honest in his interviews before the Maheta Santos fight that, you know, he was questioning himself a bit. But look, I think if you're lined up on the docket to fight a guy like Tiago Santos, it's only natural that you're questioning yourself because you know for a fact Tiago is one of the biggest knockout artists in the UFC middleweight division. And you know if you're going to lose a fight to that guy, you're probably going to get knocked the fuck out. So, yeah, obviously he was a little bit worried going into that. But with Talis, the worst case scenario is you either get laid on or you get submitted. So I don't think that same fear level is going to be there for Jack Hermanson. I think he's going to be a little bit more comfortable in this fight. And now that he's been in Brazil twice, he knows what to expect. He's coming down here. I feel like it's almost to prove a point. I feel like he's the kind of guy that called Sean Shelby and was like, look, I want to right the wrong. I want to come back to Brazil, finally get that first win, and just prove to myself that I can do it. And look, Talis Latest, he had an incredible career. I mean, I remember when he fought Anderson Silva at UFC 97 and was one of the only guys to make it the full five-round distance with him. And we know uh, there was some things going on in that fight. He was flopping to his back a lot. But, hey, at the time, man, everyone was getting knocked out left and right by Anderson Silva. And Talos went the full five-round distance. But since that point, you know, he did lose that fight to Alessio Sakara. He got cut. He had to work his way back up. He came back into the UFC. This is all pre-Reebok. And uh, let's start with the Musasi fight. You know, when... Uh, when you get your eye jabbed off to the point where meat is hanging off your face, uh, it, it was really bad. But, you know, he's one of these guys like Josh Berkman where he's too tough for his own good. So he won't go down. He won't take a knee. He'll just take the ass whooping. You know, he beat Chris Camozzi. If you haven't figured out how to beat Chris Camozzi yet, I don't know what to say. The fight with Jocko, I feel like that could be the blueprint for Jack Hermanson here in this spot because we know Jack Hermanson has very similar footwork to a Christoph Jocko. 
Alvy, I mean, if you haven't figured out how to leg kick Alvy for three straight rounds, I mean, look, uh, what's his name? Tom Watson exposed the blueprint on how to beat Sam Alvey in Sam Alvey's debut, so it was no secret there. And then with Tavares, you know, I was talking to Eric Anders about this one. Eric was like, Tavares beat him with one hand only. He literally only beat him with his left hand. He beat the shit out of him with one hand only. Now, I feel like with all weapons, Jack can have a serious performance here. He's not going up against a guy that's much more superior in terms of athleticism like Ferreira or Santos. Now he's fighting an old guy on his way out. I feel like he can take advantage. Just got to be careful of a, few, of a few things. You know, if you're on top of Talis Latis, don't get triangle choked. You know what I'm saying? Don't get swept. Don't get taken down. And as long as he avoids all that, I think he's going to put a beating on Latis, either a 30-27, 30-26, maybe a late TKO. Now next up in the welterweight division. We got Warley Alves. He's minus 240. The comeback on Sultan Aliyev is plus 200. Now, man, Warley Alves, I think a lot of people forget the kid's only 27 years old. Now, I might question that, Shaq. I, I think he's more like 32 years old. I mean, the dude uh, went bald before he was 22. But look, man, Warley Alves is a guy that has wins over Colby Covington, wins over Nordin Taleb, wins over Alan Juban. And, uh, you know, he paid his dues. He took his L's like, like a man. Now he's taking on Sultan Aliyev, the the master of Sambo. So who you got in this one? Yeah, um, I think uh, I think uh, this is a good case of uh, Russian. Of, uh, I feel like the line should be a little wider, to be honest. Uh, I think uh, Sultan Aliyev, I feel like if his name was Mike Jones, uh, or the others would be minus 600 or something. You know what I'm saying? Um, I just think this whole Russian... Thing. I feel like Sultan Aliyev is on the uh, bottom spectrum, uh, on the bottom of the spectrum uh, when it comes to the, the Russian fighters, you know what I'm saying? I, I would compare him more to, you know, Gusan Umalata more than I would compare him to, you know, Islam or Khabib or, you know, a, I don't even think he's an Omar, you know what I'm saying? I think he's a stalker. I think he's a situational wrestler. Um, I think his chin is definitely in question. Um, you know, a lot of people think that Kenny Robertson KO was a fluke. I'll tell you right now, it wasn't a fluke at all because uh, Kenny was operating at a faster pace than he was. And, uh, you know, I think he's got some good situational wrestling. I think he's good at looking at the clock with a minute left and getting a takedown. But when you're fighting Boyan Velichovic, who once again isn't, isn't with the company anymore and who can't stuff a takedown and save his life, you know, of course, I, I expect him to uh, pull those out. And um, other than that, I mean, I think Worley Alves – you know, definitely has a bad reputation as a uh, a quitter. But I don't think he's a quitter at all. I think he's more of like a young Serginio. I just feel like maybe he has problems pacing himself. Um, you know, as him and Serginio, they both like to come out hard the first round, but that third round, they're both uh, huffing and puffing for air. So I think it's a more of a pacing problem. I actually do think he's tough because if he wasn't tough, Barbarina and Japan would have knocked him out in that third round. So, um I think uh, Worley Elvis is going to get the job done here. I'm going to say first round uh, KO, first or second round KO. Um, I think it's going to be flash style. I think uh, Ramazan is going to come out. Um, I think early Worley is going to absolutely butcher him. Um, the only question is, I think the first round, if he does survive, I think the first round will be 10-8. Um, the only thing is, if Worley is completely gassed in that second and third round, uh I mean, I'm not going to act like Sultan can't take him down. But the thing is, Worley's got good take on him. So uh, I'm going to go with Worley by KO. I think Sultan's on the bottom on the uh, Russian on the Russian pole. Um, like I said, I think if his name was, you know, Randy, um, this would be minus 500 Worley. So I'm going to go with Worley. 
Yeah, I mean, those are some good points. Uh, Sultan Ali definitely is on the bottom end of the pool for the Russians. You know, it's just like you said, man, because his name is Sultan Ali, that's why the line's a little bit closer. That's why people are scared to bet on Vorley Alves here because, I mean, look, man, these Russians are winners. And he's from Dagestan. He hangs out with the crew. He does the whole bit. He's a, he's a badass, man. Sultan Ali is a true badass, you know, and he's paid his dues as well. Now, I want to talk about Sultan Ali's chin because I do think it's an issue. You know, he did get knocked out by Robertson, but, you know, outside of the UFC, he's doing these Sambo competitions and they let him do it while he has his UFC career going on because, as you know, in Sambo, they're wearing headgear. Dude, he got knocked out cold with headgear on in 2016 after the Kenny Robertson fight. So, you know, the Kenny Robertson fight wasn't a fluke at all. I'll just say that right now. And he beat uh, Boyan Velichkovich and... Literally every single person that's been inside the UFC's octagon with Boyan Velichkovich has taken him down. And I mean everyone, including Alessio DiCirico, just to refresh your memory. So, you know, I, I don't really put much stock into taking down a guy like Boyan. We know Boyan has probably the worst uh, fight IQ in recent memory. There's a reason he got cut from the UFC. There's a reason it didn't pan out. You know what I'm saying? And with Vorley, I think people have always criticized his cardio, but when you're going in there with guys that push a pace like Barbarena, when you're going in there with guys that push a pace like Usman, guys that throw four strikes per minute, you know, and you're this explosive young guy, chances are you're going to gas up. But with Sultan Ali, he throws 1.3 strikes per minute, and, you know, he, he basically doesn't throw at all. He waits for, you know, one minute left to get that takedown, and Wardley's got very good takedown defense. It's very underrated. He's a very athletic guy. I think that's the reason why he does tend to gas from time to time is because, you know, when when you're that kind of an athlete, you know, it kind of reminds me of Yoel in a way, man. I mean, when you're throwing those big ex explosive moves, you got to take time to recharge those batteries. And I feel like in his last fight against uh, the Polish kid, Salim Tuari, I feel like he proved that, look, I can go out there and win a decision, you know, and win the first and third round and show that I, I can go out here, get this 30-27, get this 29-28 and not leave any sketchy moments in that third and final round like he has in the past, you know, because the Juban fight was a little bit questionable in that third round. But, man, Worley went out there. He won the first round against Barbarena. He won the first round against Usman. As we know, those guys came back and won the fights. But those guys represent a completely different style than Sultan Ali. Those guys are, you know, they're aggressive, high uh, Barbarina, pushers. Barbarena's a workman. Barbarena's a workman, and tomorrow's a top 6-7 guy. Yeah, and uh, Aliv's always coming off a two-year layoff. Look, we're not. I'm not going to sit here and act like Aliv isn't strong in the tie-offs because he is. He's got a very nice uh, double underhook, and he's got good takedowns. I just feel like Worley's going to be able to either stuff that swim for those underhooks or get back up to his feet. And then on the feet, I feel like there's a frequency difference. I feel like he's going to hit him with a big counter right, put him out cold. And it might be one of those knockouts where – Olive goes out stiff for a second, and then he wakes up immediately, and he's like, oh, are you fucking serious? It got stopped. I think it's going to be one of those knockouts, so I am going to go with Worley Alves here. Uh, inside the distance, I, I think he gets it done. Now, next up, one of the best fights on the card. We got Elizu Zaleski Dos Santos. He's minus 135. The comeback on Sean Strickland is plus 115. Now, man, Sean Strickland, uh, he's what we like to refer to as a winner. You know, he's 19-2 and two overall. But he is traveling to Brazil here. We know he has the tendency to fight close. Fighting close in Brazil doesn't always go well. With all that said, my man, you leaning with Strickland or uh, with uh, Capoeira Zaleski? 
Man, this was an underrated fight, man. I feel like this is one of the more uh, closely matched fights because, uh, like you said, a lot of people uh, don't see my boy Sean Strickland because uh, that's, I think he's got one of the top, you know, two or three, four jab games in the business, man. His jab is absolute money. Like, he's one of those guys that will, like, break your nose with his jab, you know what I'm saying? Just go back and uh, watch that Tom Reese fight. I thought that was an incredible performance. But as you guys know, we've been high on Zaleski for a while on the show. I mean, Zaleski's been a money train for best fight pick. So this is a completely different fight. You know, Zaleski uh, has been getting in these wars. And I don't think Strickland's uh, Strickland's in looking for a war. Strickland's looking to, you know, parry, uh, parry that right hand and pop him with a jab. So it's going to be an interesting fight. Um, I do think there's a path to victory for Strickland if he... Uh, because um, Zaleski's weakness is his wrestling, of course. He has been taken down against Nakamura, against Omari, against Dalby. Uh, his takedown defense is getting better, but, you know, he can definitely be tied up. Um, the thing is, like you mentioned before, the fight's in Brazil and with Strickland style. When you watch Strickland fight, you know, if you bet on Strickland, you're always asking more out of him, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, for the most part, he does just enough. Um when Strickland goes back, he does scare me with his chin up in the air. Um, so, you know, I do definitely I think if he makes a mistake with the type of heat that uh, Elijah throws, Elijah tries to knock heads off, you know. <laughs> Elijah's what we like to call the master of war. Um, so uh, it's a it's a very tough fight. I've been going back and forth on this one. It's a very tough fight. Um, but I am going to go with Elijah just because the, the Brazil factor here. I think when Elijah does put pressure on him and uh, get Strickland to back up and put his chin in the air, I think the crowd is going to make a lot of noise. And when uh, Strickland gets in there, I mean, he eats a lot of shots. Granted, uh, you know, when he fights Court McGee, who's, you know, you know, uh, I don't, is, is he still in the company? <laughs> he's an old man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's, a, he's an old man. You know, I, I, expect, I expect him to be more effective in this fight. I do think the uh, calf kick for uh, Elijah could uh, play in here as well. Strickland likes to put a lot of uh, weight on that front front leg, but I've been seeing some videos of Strickland. He's looking like he's the best shape in his life. So, I would, this is a pass, a definition of a pass fight for me because I see routes to victory for both guys, and uh, I wouldn't sleep on Sean Strickland. The guy's nineteen and fucking two, so the guy wins a lot of fights. But I'm gonna go with Elijah here just with that Brazil factor, and I think he's gonna land the more harder shots throughout the three rounds, the shots that make the crowd go ooh and ah, and I think he might actually get a knockdown here or there. I feel like Sean Strickland's move to Kings MMA was one of the best uh, decisions he ever made for his career. So for those that don't know, he's at Kings MMA now. He's sparring with guys like Kelvin Gastelum, guys like Doom. He's getting it in. Benil Dariush. So I feel like that was a great move for him because Sean Strickland has always had a reputation of being one of those guys that go super hard in the gym. And, you know, Alvy and Dan Hendo, they, they kind of had to put him under wraps. They had to be like, dude, like – chill out, you know, people didn't want to spar with uh, Sean Strickland anymore, and we know the culture over there at Kings MMA, those guys try to kill each other every single day, so I feel like that's the perfect fit for a guy like Sean Strickland. With Elizu Zaleski, look, after his fight with Max Griffin, even after his fight with Lyman Good, we were saying stuff like, as a fan, how can you not love him? But with that style that he brings to the table, he's always getting into these wars. I was saying stuff like, man, he needs to take at least a year off. And uh, now he's coming back in there against a guy like Sean Strickland. And it's funny because Sean Strickland has this reputation of being a guy with low output, but he actually throws over four strikes per minute. So, 
He actually has a bit more of output than people give him credit for. Like you mentioned, the 19-2 and winning record. You can't just go in there and deny a record like that because not many people can put up those kind of numbers in pro MMA. I mean, we're talking about guys like Jimmy Rivera. We're talking about guys like James Vick. We're talking about guys like Cody Stammen. Sean Strickland, you can absolutely... He might not be ranked where those guys are ranked, but as far as a resume, when you're 19 and two in pro MMA, you know I tip my cap to a record like that. And I think like I think he's a smart guy. I think he's well rounded everywhere too. You know he's got 81 percent takedown defense. He also has a pretty decent offensive takedown uh, game as well. You know the fight with Usman, I feel like he kind of accepted the fact that he was going to get his ass whooped early after he ate a few of those shots. And let's just put it this way: a lot of people would have. Uh, taken a much more severe ass whooping in that spot than he did he knew how to run away and minimize the damage but he also knew that there was no coming back in that fight this is a completely different matchup because i feel like zaleski is a lot slower than strickland i feel like he's gonna have to eat a lot of uh jabs to close that distance but one thing we like about zaleski is when it's time to turn up zaleski turns up and he knows how to turn it into a serious war. So that's what I'm kind of curious about. Is he going to be able to get past that jab of Strickland and start landing some big winging hooks and you know, potentially get Strickland out of there or add up those points on the scorecards? It's hard for me to see. If this was in Vegas, you know, this would be like my top underdog play. But since it is in Brazil, you got to be super hesitant, man, because we know we know how those uh, we know if my boy Osiris Myers in there, you know, what's about to happen. But all that being said, I'm still. You gonna... know, just put it just put it this way: Camila Albuquerque and Osiris has Zaleski in that uh, scene. <laughs> exactly. So. Look, all, all that being said, I, I think Sean will make it obvious enough to where he can get that 29-28 on uh, two cards, potentially a 30-27. That's going to be a, quite a feat to do in Brazil. But uh, I, I do think that Sean Strickland will edge this one out, worst-case scenario it being a split decision. So I'm going to go with the underdog Strickland here. But, you know, being in Brazil, you got to be super careful. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Davi Hamo. She's minus 150 in the comeback on Sergeant Nick Hine is plus 130. Now, I know y'all recall when we cashed that max bet on Davi Hamo against Chris Gritzmacher. Then we turned around and won an underdog play on Gritzmacher against Joe Lozon. But now Davi Hamosh has a different matchup. Now he's taking on a guy in Nick Hine who, let's just say, uh, Nick Hine wins a lot of fights, Shaq. Yeah, Nick Hines no sucks. I mean, his only loss is to James Vick, and I mean, he floored Vick twice in that first round, so Nick Hines no fucking slouch at all. Um, Davi Hamish, you know, um, initially, you know, we had a, I had a seven-unit uh, a seven-unit bet on Davi Ramos to be Gritzmacher at minus 180. By the way, that line uh, did close at like minus four or something. You know, that's what you uh, get with best five picks, but, you know, he uh, did definitely have some moments of uh, where he definitely, I mean, he was pulling guard two minutes into that fight, but now looking back at it, we know the type of fighter that uh, Gritzmacher is, and we know the type of pace that Gritzmacher puts on. Like, Gritzmacher puts on a pace that, like, Gritzmacher's a cardio freak. Like, he looks like a fat slob, but he trusts like, his cardio is so on point. Like, he doesn't get tired at all, and he's got a chin of, made of, like, you know, I don't know. We explained this on UFC 223. Just don't sleep on my boy, Gritzmacher, moving forward. But uh, I think uh, Davi, you know, he swings so heavy that uh, if he doesn't crush guys, that, you know, he tends to slow down. And you know what happens when the uh, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, black belt power puncher gasses out? Man, you know what happens after that. They, they tend to flop to their backs. And, you know, that's, that's just what the uh, – 
the Brazilian the weasel tactics are. I mean, it's just it's just facts. So you know, Nick Hines, the thing with Nick Hines is, although he does win a lot of fights, he's been coming off after these layoffs after layoff after layoff. And his last fight against uh, what's the guy that's in jail? Uh, that beat Leo Kuntz. Yeah, Taihun Bang. Uh, Taihun Bang, I mean, there were some moments where Nick Kine was wobbling this one specific way I don't like. And it, when I say that one specific way, I'm talking about the freeze-up way. I like to call it the Luke Rocco, the Gray Maynard, you know? You start seeing signs early that the KO loss is coming, you know what I'm saying? Um, so I'm telling you, the KO loss is right around the corner for Nick Kine. Um He's wobbling this one specific way I don't like. I do think he is the better overall fighter. If uh, Dobby does slow down, Nick Hines got that judo to get on top and smash him. But uh, I got a feeling that Dobby Ramos will crush him in the first round. I think Dobby's one of the hardest hitters at 155. I think he's – they don't call him the Tasmanian devil for no reason, you know what I'm saying? I don't even have to say jiu-jitsu credentials. He submitted Gilbert Burns in a jiu-jitsu match before multiple time world champion. I just think this is finally the time where Nick Hines is going to get caught. I think uh, Dobby's going to have that energy from the crowd. I think uh, Hines probably going to jab, try to jab and uh, Dobby's going to counter with a big left hook, right hook, and fight's going to be over and he might settle more. Just KO. Yeah, I feel you on that 100%. You know, Nick Hines, very underrated guy, 90% takedown defense, has that judo base, but is mostly known for picking guys apart, standing and winning these decisions. So, look, early on in this fight, Nick Khan, he's got to be super careful because if there's one thing we know about Davi Hamosh is that he comes out there and he throws some serious bombs. And, I mean, this is a guy that fought at welterweight against Sergino. He's five foot six, Shaq. And he went out there, uh, you know, they say he's 5'8". Between you and me, he's 5'5", he's five five, you know what I'm saying? But uh, he went out there, he was throwing some heavy bombs against Sergino in that first round. And uh, I'm not convinced that my boy Sergeant Han can eat those shots because he has been freezing up. You saw that fight against Bong. Even, so, even, the, uh, even the fight with uh, Yasuki Kasuya back in the day, man. I mean, there was a couple, I, I had a bet on that. So I, I remember it. I mean, he was uh, he was uh, scaring me in that fight for a little bit. It, it was getting ugly, you know, but you got to respect a guy that's 5-1, 6-1 in the UFC. You know, he's definitely a winner, and, you know, that you got to respect that for sure. But that being said, I do think Davi has what it takes to come out here and be the first guy in UFC history to put Nick Hine away. It's just, look, if you don't put him away in that first round and you start pulling guard, you start flopping, you start doing all these things like you did against Gritzmacher, Nick Hine is the guy that knows how to grind out that second and third round, not get caught with the submission late, and go on to win that 29-28 decision. So I do see it being that knockout. I, I agree with you on this spot. But if he doesn't get it, it will get sketchy, and Nick Hine can win the decision. So, you know. And like we mentioned before, Chris Grismacher has that ability to uh, drain his opponent's cardio. So, I mean, all of Grismacher's opponents are gas. And I'm looking forward to the potential matchup between Chris Grismacher and Jim Miller. I heard heard that might be in the works. So, uh, you know what I'm saying? I'm looking forward. But look, as far as this is concerned, I do think Davi has what it takes to come out here and and stop Nick Hine early. But like we said, you gas out and uh, Nick Hine will take over. So, you got to get it done early. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got Junior Albini. He's minus 160. The comeback on Alexi Olenek is plus 140. Now, you know Alexi Olenek is the man. 80% of his wins are via submission. And when I say 80% of his wins, you got to understand that the guy, uh, 
How many wins does my boy uh, Alexi Olenek have? Uh, is it in the 40s or the 50s? I'll tell you right now how many wins my boy Alexi has. My boy Alexi has 52 wins in his career. 42 of those 52 wins are via submission. Fight hits the mat one time, man. Uh, it could be a, a mounted Ezekiel choke, if you know what I mean, Shaq. For sure, man. It's a great fight, you know. Um, to see uh, Junior Albini make that debut against Tim Johnson and absolutely smoke him, everyone thought he was going to be the top heavyweight prospect, and then he uh, pulled that uh, look at uh, Arlovsky job on the uh, Pettis card, which uh, a lot of people lost a lot of money on that. But I truly believe, I truly believe that if Junior Albini shows up like how he did with Sim Johnson, that he will knock Alexi out in the first round. I think Alexi's getting up there in year and age. You know how we say uh, heavyweights have nine lives? I think Alexi might have lost that ninth against uh, Curtis Blades. I mean, he straight up quit in that fight, if we're, if we're going to be honest here. Um, but we know the type of pressure that my boy Curtis Blades, Curtis Blades brings. Um, I do think if Junior Albini can keep this on the outside, Use his movement. Use set up, set him up with the point fighting shots, and then you know uh, land a big shot. I think he will floor Alexi in the first round. And uh, I think uh, it was a case he said Andre Larsi was his idol, man. He said I loved he was his idol growing up. Junior Albini's a young kid. I'm a, I'm a, I'm an excuse. I think he's gonna show up for this one in Brazil, and I think he's gonna knock Alexi out in the first round. You know, Albini actually ain't that bad, man. I went back and watched that Arlovsky fight a couple times, and you know. It was a little bit of looking up to the guy, but there was also a speed difference. You know, Arlovsky was the faster guy in there. But my boy, uh, Junior Albini, does have some slick techniques in there, man. And uh, he is. You're not going to just go out there and knock out a guy like Junior Albini. You know, you, you got to know how to strike to fight a guy like that. He does come from the Astro Fight team. You know guys like Darren Till. You know guys like Gleico Franza. So he's not training with slouches at all uh, in the practice room. With Alexi, look, Alexi gets on top of you one time. And you know what I'm saying? He might uh, schoolyard headlock you like he did a Crow Cop and Anthony Hamilton. You know, he might Ezekiel choke you like he did to that jobber Victor Pesta. He might retire you like he did to Travis Brown. So Alexi is one of those guys. You don't count him out. I remember when he knocked out Jared Rochal, you know, and at the time it's like – Yeah, I bet on him. I bet on him in that fight at like plus 335. You know, he's the kind of guy – you give him a couple bonuses for that because you remember uh, – what how Jared Rochal was stinking up the UFC heavyweight division at that time. And my boy Alexi just goes sure. out there and sleeps him. So, Yeah, I'm sure Dana gave him an extra uh, 20-30K under the table for taking care of Rochal. Yeah, he was like, thank you very much. Didn't they cut my boy Rochal off a uh, one loss? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. bro, when you're the, that's what happens like uh, Chris Wade, you know what I'm saying? When you're a laying prey guy, you, know, you, you got to get the fuck out of here. It's so funny because you got these people standing up for Chris Wade. It's like, Chris, yes, you're 5-2 and two in the UFC, but you're the most boring you're fucking boring. fighter on the roster, bro. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> I mean, besides that uh, flying head kick on, uh, on Ruslan, I mean, he's a lame breaker. Yeah, but let's talk that flying head kick. When you flying head kick command, then two seconds later you're on your back. That's all I got to say, Shaq. So, uh, look. Yeah, you know, he was fighting a Russian. I, I wish him luck in the in the million-dollar tournament, Shaq. <laughs> you, mean, you mean the, the $10,000 tournament? <laughs> you mean the tournament that's never going to actually happen? Yes, that one. So, look, Junior Albini's got some good technique standing, man. I mean, he's got the art of eight limbs down. He's a good Muay Thai fighter. You know, I think when you hear about his story, when you hear about how much uh, 
that 50k bonus meant to him. You know, he was going through a lot of things in his life. That was the first time he'd ever had any kind of money. I can understand you come out your next fight not looking the same, but now that he had both of those scenarios behind him, he knows what it's like to get in the winner's circle. He knows what it's like to take that first L against your your idol. Now I feel like he's poised to come back and potentially put Alexi out early in this fight. I'm questioning how much Alexi has left in the tank. But as we know, Alexi gets on top one time. It could be over. I don't think he will get on top that one time. I think Junior is going to land something clean. So I do have Junior in the first or second round. Now next up in the middleweight division, we got Carl Roberson. He's minus 125. The comeback on Cesar Mutanchi Ferreira is plus 105. Now, you know, there was a point where people were fading Mutanchi against guys like Oluwole Bangbose. They thought that you touch him one time and he's going to go out cold. Now, it seems like he had some kind of back surgery or, you know, something happened and he hasn't been knocked out cold in about three years. He's learned how to work around his chin. He's learned how to, you know, pull an ovary. But that being said, man, if there's one thing that never recovers, it is the chin. And Carl Roberson could be, you know, a, a legit striker here. It's just about... We haven't seen him in there with anyone legit yet, so we got to see for ourselves. But this fight is going to let us know exactly where Carl Roberson is. Win or lose, we're going to find out exactly where he stands. So now my question is, is he going to come out here and prove that he's legit, or uh, is he about to get derailed? Man, this is, uh, this is one of the fights I'm looking forward to the most, man, because there's a lot of people backing Carl Roberson here. And, you know, I understand why, I mean, Elbow KO'd uh, Ryan Span in the uh, in the uh, Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series, and he uh, knocked out uh, or he submitted Darren Stewart. But um, Dan, what's Darren Stewart's UFC record? Zero and four. Zero and four, and uh, you know what I'm saying now. My whole thing with this fight is okay. Yeah, Cesar, he is a. Uh, He's won, like, what, fourth of his last five? I thought he arguably, arguably beat Elias as well. The thing is, even in those wins, there's still moments where Cesar is getting wobbled. He even got dropped by Elias. He got dropped by uh, Ben Bose. He got dropped by Nate Marcourt. He uh, got dropped by, uh, who else did he fight again? Um, well, the Hermanson fight, he didn't get dropped, but Hermanson's more of the, uh, the point-fighting style. But um, he's, there's still moments in each of these fights where his chin's getting tested, and he's getting wobbles, and I feel like a younger, fresher guy would, uh, with a killer instinct, you know, would uh, probably get him out of there. But um, a lot of people don't know is, like, to, to say that Roberson's going to be able to, you know, hang with Cesar on the ground, I mean, that's just a complete guess in my opinion. You know, of course you can back him as a prospect, you can back him as that, but there's no facts to base that he can hang with Cesar on the ground in any situation at all. You've seen two fights against a bum and Darren Stewart who gets finished by everyone pretty much and uh, some guy that's not even in the UFC. So um, he's got like, what, five or six fights. Now you can, you can uh, you know, hear things and just take the take the leap and assume that he is this guy that everyone thinks he is, which, I mean, he, he might be, but there's literally no fact. If you think Cesar Ferrer is just a normal black belt, you got another dude coming. Cesar ain't just no normal black belt. He's a third-degree black belt. A lot of people forget that. There's a difference between a black belt and a third-degree black belt. So uh, to say that he's going to hang with him on the mat and be fine is completely a guess in my opinion. Um, but like I said, there's still moments where Cesar is squaring up against the fence and he's getting caught with punch and he's, and he's wobbling. And, you know, granted, when he's fighting old-ass name, Marquardt, 
he'll probably get away with it when he's fighting, uh, you know, Pillow Fist Elias. You know, he'll probably get away with it. And uh, when he's fighting, uh, you know, point fighting Hermanson, he'll get away with it. But I think Roberson, you know, this whole glory striker thing, let's, let's calm down a bit here because, I mean, Ryan Foster was a glory fighter. Chris Camozzi <laughs> yeah, was a glory fighter. Glory fighter. Um, Justin Bazeman was a glory fighter. So, I mean, let's, let's, let's uh, calm down on this whole, he's a, he's a glory striker. He lost both those fights in glory. Um, I mean, uh, if uh, I mean, just put it this way: if uh, if Mitch Clark wanted to be a glory fighter, he could. You know, so, <laughs> I mean, this whole glory striker thing is. Uh, if Elias wanted to be a glory striker, he could too. <laughs> yeah, if, if Elias Fedora wanted to go sign up for a glory fight, he could. You know what I'm saying? Oh man! Um, so this whole glory striker thing is kind of ludicrous, in my opinion. But I do actually think Roberson is going to get this one. I do think he uh, does have the power. But to 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 put the confidence in it like that with no facts about what's gonna happen on the mat, I mean, like I said, Cesar ain't no fucking black belt. He's a third degree black belt. You know who else is a third degree black belt? Guys like Davi Ramos, guys like uh Carlos Diego Ferreira that tie people's arms up behind their back. I mean you see what Cesar's capable of with that choking his mat uh, against uh against um Hermanson, I mean, he's a third degree black belt. So if this fight hit the mat, I would be uh, holding my breath if I was uh, on Roberson's side. But I do think at some point, um, if he can, you know, avoid that, he does train with uh, Ricardo Almeida. He does train with good ground fighters like Corey Anderson. So uh, we're gonna see. So, but uh, I'm gonna go with Roberson by KO. Yeah, look. It's a tough one to call because there's a lot of guesses here. We've never seen Roberson against a guy at this level. But what we have seen from Roberson, hey, he's handled those jobbers exactly how you're supposed to. So when you get a fight like this that's literally a coin flip, it's a guess because we're guessing, is Roberson on this level or not? You know, Because oftentimes the vet does come out there and hand that young up-and-coming guy their first ever defeat. We, we all know that first L is always around the corner. But another thing we know about my picking style is I do like to go with the young up-and-coming guys over the vets. And I'm going to do that here as well. I'm going to go with Roberson. I think he becomes the first man to find the chin of Cesar Mutanchi since 2015. Now, whether that comes to fruition or not remains to be seen. But I will be picking uh, Roberson as well. Next up in the Legends division, the middleweight division, we got Leota Machida. He's minus 275. The comeback on Vitor Belfort is plus 235. Now, uh... Shaq, uh, you know these two train together in the good old days, so who you got in this matchup? Yeah, it's an interesting fight, man. Uh, they're both uh, what I like to refer to as grandpas, you know. They both look like they uh, have, uh, they kind of look like heavyweights too these days, man. They both got nine lines as well. Um, man, it's a tough fight. I think the lines are a complete joke, firstly. I mean, just because Leonardo beat Eric Anders, Eric Anders was fighting Brendan Allen like a year ago. I mean, he simply wasn't ready. It was a huge step up in competition from going from Marcus Perez to Leoto. And, uh, you know, Leoto showed me that, he, you know, he, he might be able to still beat a couple guys, but it's very few, you know what I'm saying? These are the type of fights that, you know, you get possibly win. If they put him in there with, you know, a more experienced under guy, he'll get knocked stiff. Um, Vitor, same thing, you know? Put him there with any young guys, he's gonna get knocked stiff. I like, I actually like Retour's performance against Nate Marquardt. You know, I was under the impression that Nate got robbed, but there was no robbery at all in that fight. Um, Vitor, he fought smart, you know, he uh, protected his chin. 
Um, and I like Lioto in a few rounds, man. He, he was slipping and ripping. I thought Anders had a bad game plan standing out in space with him. But uh, this is a definition of a pass fight. If you are going to take any side, it has to be Vitor's. There's no way I'm going to, you know, uh, bet on Lioto like that because I feel like it's a, it could be a thing of who gets their chin touch first. Um, we know power is the last thing to go. I'm going to go with Vitor for the upset. Um, just because uh, he's the underdog, man, and I think the line's a joke, so I'm going to go with Vitor. Lioto and Vitor trained together in the good old days. There was a lot of magma in that room, I hear. And uh, I also heard that Lioto got the better of those practices, but as you know, Shaq, it's not always the best guy in the practice room that wins the fight, and I got to know it from the fans. Who had a better career? Was it Lioto, a one-time UFC light heavyweight champion with one title defense, Wins over Randy Couture, Rashad Evans, Dan Henderson, Shogun, Musasi, Tito Ortiz, among others? Or was it Vitor Belfort, who also captured the light heavyweight championship? And we know it was very controversial. But hey, even if it's a cut, if it's a DQ, it doesn't matter. He still wore gold, and he's got wins uh, over Bisbing, Luke Rockle, Dan Hendo, Vanderlei Silva, Anthony Rumble Johnson. So for all the fans that have to battle, let us know who had the better career between Lioto and Vitor, because both have unbelievable resumes. But as far as this matchup is concerned, I also thought that it should have been lined a little bit closer. I do think that the value here is with Vitor at plus 235. But that being said, man, I don't know if you watched uh, the stare-downs today. My boy Vitor showing up in a bathrobe and uh, flip-flops and uh, his emotional support dog. Now, granted, he does have a German Shepherd. You know I got a soft spot for those kind of dogs, so I will give him some leeway for that. But... Bro, why are you wearing a fucking bathrobe to to the media stare-downs? My boy Lioto had a look in his eye like he was uh like he was ready to like he knew something about the old days of practicing with Vitor in that room and uh, he used to get the better of him. It looked like he knew something. So, I'm actually going to go with Lioto here, but from a betting perspective, it is dog or pass. Well, Shaq, you want to you want to let him know uh what time of the year it is, man? It's Max Best season times too, man. So it's time to join the ride as Best Fight Picks takes over Rio de Janeiro this weekend. We got two max bets on the card. Um, Going to get the job done. And, I mean, whether you're a small better or a big better, you're all welcome. I mean, Dan, we've been getting clients that, you know, they have never put in bets in their entire lives before, man. And now we're telling them exact um, uh, the exact amounts to put on each fight, and we're basically doing the entire uh, consulting for them, man. And when we say max bet season, especially max bet season times two, it's time to stop hesitating and get this money. So, I mean, let us showcase our talents for USC 224. And then, you know, matter of fact, I'll run a promotion right here right now. For anyone that buys that uh, one-event VIP package, if you don't win this weekend, you get the next two events free. That's uh, UFC Chile and UFC Liverpool. So, uh, sounds like a good deal to me. If you like making money, if you like being on the right side, if you want to know the opportunistic moments to uh, go big on certain spots like what we're doing for UFC 224, then it's time to hop on board right now. Send us an email at bestfightpicks at gmail.com. And if you haven't sent us that email yet, shame on you. It's funny, Shaq brings up uh, some of our newer clients that have never placed a bet in their lives. We're helping them do the whole process together. But then we also got the whales with huge bankrolls we're telling them what to do as well you know and Shaq I've noticed some of these guys records are as fake as Mackenzie Dern's accent you know when you look at my record you see hard work when you look at my record you see dedication when you look at my record you see a long-term winner and this month is consensus max bet season I say consensus because you know what the numbers say when Dan and Shaq have a consensus max bet 
it's undefeated. So this weekend, two max bets on the line. It's a winner. Hit us up, bestfightpicks.com, and let's get these wins. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got John Hands of Stone Lineker. He's minus 255. The comeback on Brian Boom Kelleher is plus 215. Now, I know we got a soft spot for my boy Brian Kelleher coming through on that dog money against Hen and the Baron. But now he's taking on John Lineker in Brazil. It's a completely different matchup. Who you got? Yeah, you know, early I was uh, I was kind of feeling Kelleher here because I think uh, Kelleher, you know, he, he mentioned uh, that TJ Dillashaw laid out the blueprint to to uh, beat Henan Burrell, and he also said T.J. Dillashaw laid out the blueprint to beat John Lineker, so he thinks he's going to duplicate what T.J.'s doing these these uh, two fights, and it's going to be interesting. I definitely see some advantages for Kelleher. One thing I'll say right here right now, Kelleher ain't scared of John Lineker like the rest of John Lineker's opponents. We know um, Rob Font. I mean, Rob Font was quaking in his boots <laughs> the second he saw Lineker. Um, I mean, he had his back against the fence the entire time. He flopped to his back multiple times. Um, and then Marlon Vera, I mean, Marlon Vera can't box, and, you know, uh, he's a tough guy. But, you know, he, he just wasn't ready. Um, and, you know, he's got a pulling a trigger issue, you know what I'm saying? So, and which two things that Kelleher uh, definitely, definitely does not have. Um, now, Marlon Vera beat uh, Keller, not like it matters, because, I mean, what's Luna going to do? Sub him? Um, but uh, actually, I mean, Lineker's got a sub on his record. But uh, against my boy Cisco Rivera. Yeah, exactly. Who hasn't subbed him? You know, so um, this is going to be a good fight, man. Um, I definitely see a lot of Lineker max bets, and you know, I definitely think John's the better fighter here. But what about John's wrestling, man? <laughs> I mean, I just I've always said top five guys shouldn't be getting taken down that easy. You know what I'm saying? Um, and you know the TJ fight. I mean. People think it was like this master class performance. I mean, that was kind of basic, to be honest. I mean, yeah, he switched ends a couple of times, but the takedowns are coming too easy. I do understand John got his uh, jaw broken. But I haven't seen pictures of my boy John Lineker this week, and uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say he, he's definitely, uh, he's definitely uh, got a new doctor or, you know, the fight's in Brazil. I would be very careful with the uh, Kelleher plays. Even though I don't really see too many, um, I do think John uh, John is uh, filled with some uh, Brazilian acai, if you know what I'm talking about. So um, I don't think Kelleher's scared. I think he's going to get right in there. It's going to be a good fight, man. If you can take him down, it wouldn't. Sh- it, w- it really wouldn't surprise me, man, because I think Kelleher is really good. Like I think he's a top 15 fighter. I think uh, you know I was under the impression that Henan Burrell was completely done, but Henan Burrell actually looked pretty good in that fight, man. Uh, I thought Hennon was actually looking decent. I think Hennon could have beat a lot of guys that night, actually. So uh, I'm going to go with Lineker, but it's a, it is a dog or pass situation for me. Brian Kelleher is a dog. He's a junkyard dog. He's the kind of guy that is not afraid of anyone. He'll fight anyone, anytime, any place. And also, most of his losses are via submission. He's never been stopped via strikes before. So that would be a first if John Lineker went out there and uh, you know stopped him uh, via TKO. But that being said... Kelleher's never fought a guy that cracks as hard as John Lineker. And you see the looks on these guys' faces uh, when they get hit by him. It's like they've never been hit by anything like that before in their lives. I mean, he made my boy Robbie Font pull guard. You know what I'm saying? And you don't just make a guy like Robbie Font pull guard. So John Lineker hits like a truck. And the thing with Kelleher, though, is, you know, I've spoken to Jimmy Rivera at length about this many times, and he said, the way to beat Lineker is to take this guy down. So I'm curious if, you know, Brian Keller is coming out here. 
you know, wants to prove that he's man enough, that he's got the balls to stand toe-to-toe with Lineker, or if he's going to come out here smart, learn the lessons from the times that people have defeated Lineker, and come out here and use a, a takedown-heavy attack because, you know, he is the bigger guy in there. But all that being said, I see Lineker landing the harder shots over a three-round duration, and I see that winning him a decision. So I'm going to go with Lineker via decision. I see it being a very uh, intriguing and entertaining battle. But ultimately, I do think uh, Hands of Stone will get his will get his arm raised. So yeah, I'm going to go with John Lineker here. Now next up in the strawweight division, we got Mackenzie Fake Accent Dern. She's minus 250. The comeback on Amanda Bobby Cooper is plus 210. Now, a lot of people are convinced this is the spot to fade Mackenzie Dern. Now, Shaq, I'm not convinced, man. I'll tell you this. Amanda Bobby Cooper has been submitted uh, three times. We know Mackenzie Dern has a serious jiu-jitsu background. But we also know Bobby Cooper can box a lot better than Mackenzie can at this time. What do you think is going to go down when these two throw down inside the UFC's octagon? This is uh, an intriguing fight. You know, Mackenzie Dern opened, like, what, minus 530? Um, and then all the action came in on ABC. Um, I just got to say, there's been one comment when ABC fights uh, – the top prospects. When she fought Aspen Ladd, when they hit the mat, what happened? She got finished. When she fought Cynthia Kev- uh, Tatiana Suarez, when they hit the mat, what happened? When she fought Cynthia Calvillo, when they hit the mat, what happened? Her wins are over Angela Magana. Like, I don't really have to explain that. Um, and uh, soccer mom, Anna Elmos, who is she even with the company anymore? So, you know, um, <laughs> you know she's she retired. Jamie Moyle is uh, what we like to refer to as a jobber. Um, you know, to, to back ABC, like, this is uh, pretty intriguing, man, because I think when when we say good boxing, when I say good boxing, I, I think of, like, uh, you know, a Cody Stamen, or if I wanted to say female-level good boxing, uh, like a Tisha Torres, or, a, you know what I'm saying? I think ABC has more panic boxing. I think she just tries to... Uh, you know, she moves and all, but I think it's more just panic boxing, um, just, you know, kind of spam a lot of punches. I mean, when you're fighting Anna Amos, who, uh, by the way, dropped her, and, um, I mean, Anna Amos, like, that's a soccer mom. Like, <laughs> this is a completely different thing. I actually think Mackenzie Nairn has a lot of potential. I think, you know, if she can make the weight, even if she doesn't make the weight, but if she, you know, can stay healthy, I think her she's got power moving down the line, bro. I think that you're going to see her uh, drop a couple of girls, like how she already has in her past fights. I think she's got power. Um, I think she's super hard to handle when she moves forward. Granted, it is sloppy, but these 115-pound chicks aren't really used to that. I mean, we already saw what happened when a big, overwhelming girl like T- uh, Tatiana got on top of her. When, uh, you know, Aspen Ladd, a big girl, got on top of her. When they get in there, Mackenzie Dern is going to be north of 130 pounds, you know what I'm saying? And and to be honest, I don't want to be shocked if McKenzie missed weight. So um, I think it's going to be a, a, just a difference when they tie up. I think when they tie up, um, this fight's going to be, you know, what happens when they, the, the, the times when ABC hit the mat, when it hasn't been against Angela fucking Magania and uh, whatever, and Anna Elmos, um, she's been dominated. So I think McKenzie Dern's going to do the same. I actually think McKenzie's going to land punches on the feet as well. I don't think it's this mismatch on the feet that people think it is. I think that forward aggression is going to spook ABC. I think she's super nervous. I think she's super tense. And uh, I got Mackenzie Dern by finish. Yeah, I mean, I completely understand. I think that people are thinking the right things in terms of, you know, you want to fade. 
Yeah, I think it's the right idea, but wrong person. I think they're over, they're overestimating uh, ABC. Just like this reminds me of O'Malley and Subutash. You know, all this action coming on this guy, but you guys are forgetting this guy. This guy really ain't shit, you know. Yeah, they're completely overvaluing Amanda Cooper. And look, I mean, I'm down to fade Mackenzie Dern when the time is right, but I really don't feel like the time is right here against this chick who's been submitted a million times. Her only wins are against Magana and Elmos. Like, come on. I mean, what do you think would happen if Dern went in there with Magana and Elmos? So, <laughs> you know, and I know that Mackenzie Dern's striking is ugly, but, you know, one thing that we talked about with that Priscilla Cachoeira girl and yeah, she fought Valentina, but initially she was supposed to fight someone else, is that these girls aren't used to chicks with knockout power. And my girl Mackenzie, uh, even though it's ugly, she hit, she hits pretty hard for a girl. I'll say that right now. But obviously what she's known for is her jujitsu. So for Bobby Cooper to win this fight, Bobby has to keep it standing for three straight rounds and pick apart Mackenzie Dern and hope to somehow get a stoppage, which I just don't see happening. I, I think that, look, obviously... 90% of fights hit the mat, 100% of fights start standing, so it will start standing. Bobby will hopefully, for her sake, be able to get off on some punches, but at some point, man, this fight will hit the mat, and when it does, it'll be over shortly after. You know, we mentioned with that Yoder fight that it was interesting because Yoder does what Mackenzie does, just Mackenzie does it a little bit better. You know, Yoder's known for, and they call her the spider monkey, right? You know, she's known for pulling guard and doing all these things on the mat. Bobby Cooper's the complete opposite. Bobby Cooper, she's allergic to that mat. You know what I'm saying? You get her on the mat, and uh, don't be surprised when she's tapping two seconds later. So I do see it being some kind of choke here. So I'm going to go with Mackenzie Dern. Look, she's minus 250. Now she opened minus 530. So it's honestly a little bit of, of value on the favorite here. It's just, you know, how can you trust her when, you know, she's so green and inexperienced. This is a big pressure moment to fight in Brazil. I mean, the fake accent, yeah. all that. But I do have Mackenzie Dern. True, but the thing is, I mean, uh, what's ABC's record? I think she just got over 500 the other day. She's like, what, four In the three? UFC, she's like um, two and three. Uh, and Mackenzie Dern's, what's her record, like five and oh, six and oh? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, in terms of pro experience, it's really not that much far off. Um, actually, and uh, I think... Uh, Actually, Bobby's two and two because uh, the Aspen Lad fight was an Invicta. But bottom line, we know the deal. She's been having submission issues since before her UFC career. Exactly. And, you know, Aspen Lott is a big girl, but trust me, when Mackenzie gets in there, she's going to be a big girl, too. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Now, speaking of a size discrepancy, middleweight division, co-main event of the evening. We got Ronaldo Jacare Souza. He's minus 150. The comeback on Kelvin Gastelum is plus 130. Now, look, man, normally I like Kelvin Gastelum in these underdog spots. I mean, people that have been listening to Half the Battle know that I was on him against Tim Kennedy, uh, Tim Kennedy that plus 160, against Ellen Berger, even against Woodley. You know, we lost that split. But bottom line, I've been a Kelvin backer at the window for a long time. But one thing I got to say, I've noticed a pattern. Every time he fights a larger man that can grapple, he tends to lose. And, you know, I thought the Magni fight was kind of a fluke, but I feel like the Weidman fight solidified that, hey, that Magni fight wasn't a fluke at all. A bigger man that can, uh, you know, get on the inside, get those double underhooks and body Kelvin Gastelum can uh, go out there and win the fight. And we know if Jacare gets on top of you one time, that could be all she wrote. Now, I'm one of the select few that bet Robert Whitaker at plus 205 to defeat Jacare because I felt like 
Robert Whitaker. I always said he was going to be a future world champion. I thought he was the dark horse of that division. I thought that was a completely different matchup. And Jacare even took his back early. Robert was able to escape that. Now, what I want to know here, Shaq, is if Ronaldo Jacare gets a good position on Kelvin Early, do you think Kelvin will be able to escape similar to how the champ Whitaker did? Or do you think it's going to you know, show some of these old holes that we've already seen in Kelvin's game against Weidman, against Magny, even against Woodley, if this fight hits the mat one time? Man, it's tough to say because, you know, before uh, Jacare fought Bronson, he was a guy that I've been thinking was, uh, you know, on his way out. And, you know, it seems like he's kind of rejuvenated himself in uh, Orlando down there with my boy Julian Williams. But, you know, with him getting that knockout, I don't want him to think uh, that uh, he's a striker now, you know what I'm saying? Because before the – I mean, let's not forget about the Yoel Romero fight when he got dropped. Um, I mean, I've, I've been feeling like his chin's been diminishing for a long time, and we know that you stand on the outside with Kelvin, you, uh, there's going to be a straight left right down the pipe, and, you know, we saw what he did to Bisping. That was one of, a, one of the nicer slipping rips you're going to see. Um, but like you said, the lineman fight, I mean, he got completely overwhelmed the second lineman uh, got on his legs. But, you know, I will say Chris Lyman probably has the best single leg in MMA. So, I mean, uh I mean, he did take Yoel Romero down with that single leg. So uh, it's uh, tough to say, man. I think if Jacare stands with him at any type of distance, I think he's going to possibly get knocked out. Um, but if you know if he comes with the right approach, which he should, I mean, he's a smart fighter. Um, he should uh, he should uh, be able to you know overwhelm him and uh, get him out of there on that mat because uh, Kelvin's definitely a small. Small one eighty five. He, you know, he is a little lazy, lazy. Uh, as my boy Kobe Covington referred to him, uh, a fat midget. But um, <laughs> so are you still talking about going to one seventy? Can you believe that? Yeah, like he needs a shut. Like I mean, we bet on him in that lineup fight. I mean, we we knew we were gonna lose that bet. Uh, that first enemy fight week. You know what I'm saying? He, I, like when I watch tape on Kobe, I, I, he shows me like these flashes of like like brilliance at times and then he just does something stupid and it's just like oh my god but <laughs> but uh i'm gonna go with kelvin in this one man i think he i think he is gonna you know come ready early and i think in that first round i think uh if he can keep his distance and uh i feel like jacare is gonna probably telegraph a shot and i think early it'll get stuck but if the longer the fight goes i think it goes jacare's way and uh but i'm gonna go with kelvin by first round knockout Interesting. Yeah, look, I've always been a Kelvin backer, especially at the betting window as an underdog, but I feel like i got to learn from mistakes. And one of the mistakes, like I've already alluded to, is when he fights a larger grappler, he tends to lose that fight. And I'm not talking about uh, no Jake Ellenberger either, man. You know, I'm talking about a guy like Magny. I'm talking about a guy like Weidman. It's been exposed twice. And with Jacare, the fight hits the mat one time, and it could be over. So look, you know, I hate to be the guy that says, oh, if it stays standing, Kelvin's going to knock him out. If it hits the mat, Jacare is going to submit him. Because, look, Jacare can stand, too. Jacare just knocked out Derek Brunson at the same time. I feel like Kelvin would do the same thing. You know, Brunson likes to charge into his chin straight in the air. But, but it wasn't It wasn't like it was some counter shot. I mean, he hit him with a head kick. That was pretty damn clean. So, you know, it wasn't a, a counter shot. It was an offensive move. So that was pretty badass on Jacare's part. And I do feel like he's a little bit rejuvenated in Florida with Julian Williams, one of the most underrated guys uh, outside of the UFC, actually. A lot of people don't know about my boy Julian Williams. Look him up. He's absolutely legit. So 
now it comes down to where is this fight going to take place? Because we know Kelvin, he's been training at Kings MMA. He's got great footwork. He wants to keep this on the outside. He wants to pop that jab. He wants to throw some big strikes. He wants to knock out a guy like Jacare. Jacare seems to find a way to get these guys down to the mat. So based on the film, I think he's going to find a way to get Kelvin down. And when he does, man, I think it'll be over shortly after. So I'm going to go with Jacare uh, via submission. Main event of the evening. We got Amanda the Lioness Nunes. She's minus 1,100. The comeback on Raquel Rocky Pennington is plus 700. Now, I'm going to go ahead and say this, man. Rocky Pennington's no slouch. Rocky Pennington's a big girl. Rocky Pennington can take a shot. I'm not convinced Amanda Nunes has you know, a minus 1,000 type performance because when you have a minus 1,100 favorite, you better have Kylan Curran on the other fucking side shack. And Amanda has had gas tank issues in the past. Look, she paced herself against a counter-striker in Valentina. But as you know, man, this is a completely different style because Rocky, in my opinion at least, is like a Barbarena or a Darren Elkins for the female bantamweight division. You know, it doesn't look the prettiest, but if you slow down on someone like Barbarena or Elkins or Pennington, they will tee off on you. And you factor in those two extra rounds, you know, because this is a championship fight. Rocky definitely has a path to victory. All that said, there's other factors and intangibles to consider as well because Rocky hasn't fought since the last time Conor McGregor fought in the UFC. I'm talking November 2016. I'm talking UFC 205, and she's coming off a big injury, a surgery. There's lots of questions if she'll be in her best form. So all that being said, Shaq, you going with the minus 1,100 favorite or the plus 700 dog? Yeah, and I think the line's a, another complete joke. Um, like you were mentioning before, Rocky is the workman of that division. She's that, she, like you said, the Barbarina, the Elkins, or the Gritsmacher, or whatever. She's the workman of that division. Yeah, she does eat um, quite a bit of punches, but that's what she, that's her style. And a lot of people are uh, forgetting that Amanda Nunes is a quitter. Man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, let's not forget a. Uh, at UFC 196, she completely quit uh, against uh, Valentina. I know, I know, because I oh, I bet on Valentina in that fight. I think too. Uh, I mean, she flat out quit her now, so that quit is still there. You just have to, uh, you just have to, you know, bring it out of her. And the thing is, when you're fighting Ronda Rousey and Misha Tate, who I mean, like, come on, should I have to explain that? Like, Ronda was done, Misha was done. Those are the Stone Age, the Stone Age pioneers of the sport. You know what I'm saying? Um, that style had to get out. And when you talk about Valentina in the rematch, I mean, Dan, Valentina is one of the most predictable fighters in that division. I mean, Valentina only throws like three three different strikes, you know, a, a right hook, a spinning back fist, and the occasional left kick. I mean, if someone can tell me anything else she throws, I, I'd really like to know. So, and, uh, I mean, that fight, we could have easily been saying uh, something else different if she didn't go for a head and arm throw with a minute left. You know what I'm saying? So, um you know, I feel like a lot of people are forgetting who Amanda Nunes is. I do think that she has gotten a little better with her uh, pacing and with her, uh, and with her, uh, like her heart. I mean, I guess she's gotten a little tougher, but the thing is, it's a different style because like we were saying, Valentina's a counter Rocky's going to get in her face and eat and willingly eat punches to accomplish her mission, man. So that might drain Amanda Nunes' cardio a little faster because we know Nunez gets a, a little bit excited. If she uh, thinks you're hurt, she will empty that gas tank. Um, so I think the line's a complete joke. 
Yeah, Rocky's coming out the layoff. And another thing about Rocky is she really hasn't fought anyone on this level. I mean, I think her last ones are Bedge Kohea, Elizabeth Phillips, and uh, and Misha Tate. You know, Misha Tate sucks. Elizabeth Phillips. And, you know, and uh, Jessica Andrade, who's in a different weight class, but still a badass. Yeah, I mean, I mean you know, the deal with Andrade at 135, I mean, she was a quitter at 135. So, um, you know, her, this is definitely the the best fighter she's fought, in my opinion. So I can't really say uh, how she's going to do at, against this level, but to have it minus 1,100 is a fucking joke because, I mean, Rocky Rocky is a is a workman, and she's just that type of chick that embraces this type of stuff, man. So I'm going to go with the Nunes just because the layoff, and um, I do think she is the better overall fighter. I do think she is, uh, you know, uh, I think she is getting better across the board. I do think she's a better fighter across the board in every aspect. But, I mean, if she starts to slow down, don't uh, be shocked when she starts quitting because, you know, there's a there's a few chicks that, uh, you know, like how we were saying, like about Rose Nami Yunus, you know what I'm saying? She did have a good performance. But there's certain girls, if, if you can push Rose to a certain point, she'll quit. If you push Sarah, if you can get Sarah McMahon into the second round, she's going to quit. Uh, if you can get Amanda Nunes' energy done, she will quit. So it wouldn't shock me at all if Rocky put off the upset. No, I feel you 100%, man, because uh, I do think Rocky is a tough stylistic matchup for her. It's just about, you know, what kind of shape is Rocky in after that surgery, after that injury? Because it was a serious one. And uh, I think if you're looking for an angle to play this fight at, obviously you're not going to play Amanda Nunes minus 1,100. It's a complete joke. doesn't add any value to anything. So... You know, maybe take a half unit shot on Rocky or maybe look at the over, maybe look at not Amanda Nunes inside the distance. There's a lot of options here. I think the most likely outcome is Amanda Nunes goes out there and wins a decision. I think the later rounds could get a little bit sketchy because we know about Rocky's style, but all in all, look, she's minus 1100 for a reason, but it should be uh, it should be closer to where it opened. And where it opened, man, was you know, around minus 530, which is still maybe a little bit wide, but minus 530 compared to minus 1100, a little bit more reasonable in my opinion. So I'm going to go with uh, Amanda Nunes via via decision. You know, Rocky hasn't been finished in her entire UFC career. The two fights that she did lose were very close decisions. So they were both split decisions, actually. So, you know, she's a tough, durable chick. I think she'll survive the five-round distance. We'll find out what happens on fight night. Now we got to hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself. Kyle, how's it going, man? It's been a while. Yeah, it has, man. Uh, it was a break. I really needed the break, actually. Uh, but I'm, I'm itching for some more MMA now, so I cannot wait for these fights. Oh, yeah, you feeling refreshed? You feeling uh, back to, to get this money this weekend? Yeah, man. I feel like I got my mojo back and I'm ready to go. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot because the main event of the evening between Amanda Nunes and Rocky Pennington, we're looking at a minus 1,100 favorite and Amanda Nunes, the comeback on Rocky is plus 700. We know, uh, I know my boy Kyle ain't selling any minus 1,100 bets over there. So what I want to know, man, is do you see value on the plus 700 dog here? No, man. I mean, honestly, I've seen a lot of people say that this line is crazy. She shouldn't be that big of a favorite. But they're not betting it, uh, and they're not betting it for a reason, and that's because plus 700 is still not good enough, man. I don't know how she gets it done. Uh, I'd probably need plus 1,000 to, to even take a stab at it because um, I feel like I'm throwing away money if I do that. 
but yeah, man, Nunez is going to be better everywhere. If this stays on the feet, she's just going to piece her up and probably get a TKO out of it. Um, but if she, if she wants, she could take it to the ground and dominate there as well. Uh, I think it's just about how she wants to fight, when she wants to finish, and she's really going to do anything she wants to do. I'm going to say she's going to get a finish here, and she could be worth the price tag of 9500 uh, Cash for sure, she, I'm just going to throw her in my lineup. Uh, cause I'm going to lock that win in, and then I'll try and find some more elsewhere. But GPPs uh, would be the spot for me to not fade her, but have a, not 100% of her because she is 9500 so it's tough to get her in your lineup uh, with – the dogs that I'm not really confident in. So cash, I'm just going to lock her in and uh, I'll probably have maybe 50 to 60% in GBPs just so I can stay above the field. So my boy Kyle Marley is saying that we need three more dollars in order for us to take a shot on Rocky Pennington. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if that happens, maybe I can take a one year to stab at that. <laughs> so a very hyped matchup between Mackenzie Dern and Amanda Bobby Cooper, you know, it opened minus five thirty for Dern. A lot of action has come in on Bobby Cooper now. It's interesting because she's got three submission losses. Are you seeing the way the public's going, man? Or are you kind of siding here with the odds maker and taking the big favorite Dern to win this one by submission? I mean, I kind of like both sides of this because if you are going to get Nunez, you need to get those dogs somewhere. And Cooper just allows you to to get her uh, and some other favorites in there. So I don't mind Cooper for a price at 7100 with all the things we've heard. Dern say with the camp moving and uh, how she's not trying to be in the gym all the time, grinding, and she wants a break after this fight. Uh, so, I mean, I'll take some stats at Cooper. However, I think she's going to be pretty popular. Uh, so, Dern really might be the play here in GPPs because I think Cooper might even be more popular than Dern. So, if Dern wins and scores really high, then that kills all the Cooper lineups and also gives you leverage on the field. So, I would say uh, maybe Cooper would be a good cash play and Dern, a better GPP player. Sharp analysis. That's why we have the Big Marley Minute on half the battle. And look, John Lineker's taking on Brian Kelleher. Look, I have a feeling these two are going to stand and bang. It's going to be very exciting. But usually when guys beat Brian Kelleher, they beat him via submission. He's never been stopped via strikes. I think he's a durable guy. That being said, he's never been hit by someone that hits as as hard as uh, Hands of Stone Lineker. So you think uh, the minus 250 favorite gets it done here? Yeah, I think so, uh, especially in Brazil. Uh, I think it is going to be mostly standing. Maybe Kelleher will go for a couple takedowns here and there. Uh, but ultimately, I see a decision happening with Lineker getting his hand raised. Um, the problem is he's 9,000 on DraftKings, so would you rather go with him or Dern or someone else around that area? Um, I like him, but I also like maybe Kelleher as well in catch games because I do think it's going to go to a decision. So within that three rounds, he's going to rack up some points himself. Uh, so I don't really mind uh, Kelleher in cash games, but again, I'd rather have Lineker in my GPPs. So Machida and Vitor are going to fight. Now, I was kind of surprised by the line. I know we spoke about this off air. I thought it was going to be a little bit closer, but then again, on fight week, when you see my boy Vitor with the bathrobe at the stare downs, you see him with the emotional support dog, you see Leona Machida is a lot more focused. I see why Machida is the favorite. I just don't know if he should be minus 275. What's your opinion on this? Yeah, I uh, I really want to avoid this fight. If anything, I'm going to go with Belfort just because he's cheap. He's 7300 and if he's going to win, he's going to get a knockout. So he'll he'll uh, get that $7,300 worth in value. Uh, but Machida, on the other hand, man, this could be a real boring decision with Machida getting his hand raised. And he just came off of a five-round win over Anders where he only scored 61 fantasy points in five rounds. So I, I'd rather just fade him at 8900 and go with Belfort if I'm picking somebody in this fight. 
And just to emphasize what you said, because I would assume what his price tag was probably around seventy three hundred for that fight. You think? Uh, his price tag was yeah, exactly seventy three hundred. And still, I mean, he didn't even ten x that. Uh, so yeah, I don't really want him at eighty nine. But he could he could ruin my day and go out there and just get a first round knockout and have one hundred and ten points and just kill me. But I'm gonna take that risk. Yeah, all I gotta say is when you can't cover a seventy three dollar uh, price tag and you win a five round decision. That's all I got to say. You should probably be avoiding him, huh? <laughs> yeah, I'll be passing. So, Junior Albini is taking on Alexi. And, look, Albini, he kind of let a lot of people down that last one against Arlovsky. But prior to that, he knocked out Tim Johnson. Alexi, we know that 80% of his wins are via submission. It's an interesting striker versus grappler matchup. Which way are you going? Uh, I like both sides on this one. Uh, fight doesn't go to decision. It's minus 245. Um, so... And they're both right there in the mid-range. So whoever's going to win is going to outscore their price. Uh, I'm, I prefer Albini. So if I was making one lineup, he would be in it. But I'm going to have some Olenek as well. I think this is a good fight to throw 100% of your lineups on because I do see the winner scoring high. Davi Hamosh is taking on Nick Hine. Look, Nick Hine's a guy that goes out there. He wins a lot of UFC fights. He's 5-1, and 6-1 and one in the UFC. The only loss coming to the executioner, Vic. But Davi Hamosh is a little powerhouse, especially at 155 pounds. Which way are you lean it? Uh, I think I'm going to go with Davi in this one. Uh, because it ends in Brazil, that's really the, the final deciding factor for me. I've been going back and forth on this. Uh, so I might fade it overall. Uh, but I think I'm, I'm landing on Ramos as my pick here. Uh, I just don't know if I want him or how much I want of him in my lineup. So I'm going to say I'm going to fade this as of now, but we'll see what happens. Ramos is the pick. Elizu Zaleski is taking on Sean Strickland. Such an underrated matchup. I mean, anytime Zaleski fights, it's an absolute war. Sean Strickland, one of the most underrated guys in the game with a 19-2 and record. Uh, I know if this was in Vegas, you might be leading a certain way, but it is in Brazil, so which way are you going? Yeah, I mean, it is in Brazil, so I was originally leaning uh, the Santos for that reason, but they're both 8,100 on DraftKings, so really what's this making my decision is the line movement, uh, Dos Santos is now minus 135, so ownership is all going to go to him. I think Strickland will be very low owned. So I like Strickland in tournaments here, but I will not throw either one of these in a cash game uh, if I was making a lineup. And I wanted to be contrarian to maybe try to win that $25,000 in the $10 contest. Uh, Strickland could be a good pick there. If he can get this W with his wrestling game, and he could score high, uh, and more people are going to be on Dos Santos than Strickland, that's for sure. So Warley Alves is fighting Sultan Aliyev. Now, it's interesting because Warley, for a 27-year-old, he's already accomplished a lot. You know, he finished Nordin, he finished Colby, he beat Juban. He had to take his first two setbacks. Now, what I'm trying to wonder here, Kyle, is because of those two setbacks to guys that push very high paces in Kamar Usman and Brian Barberena, do you think he's going to be less owned because the hype has kind of come down a little bit and this is a spot where we can kind of take advantage of everyone being off the Warley train, or do you think he'll be highly owned as usual? No, I don't really think he's going to be highly owned just because of all the big favorites on this card. Most people are going to flock up to Nunez or Perez or Olenek or something like that. So I think Alves will go a little bit on their own just because he's up there and people would rather pay for those other people. Um, so he could be a sneaky play here, and he comes out firing every fight. So he could get a first-round finish, and ideally, if you're, if you're on Warley here, he gets a late first-round finish and racks up all those points and advances and takedowns, and he gets that 90 points on the on the first-round finish bonus. So he could be a great play here. I'm just having a hard time seeing how this plays out. Uh, I am afraid of Russians, so it's, it's hard picking against them. 
But so I might have a, a little bit of both of them, but I'll be underweight to the field uh, no matter what I do. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if Sultan Aliyev's name was, you know, James Johnson or, you know what I'm saying, or Mike Smith, <laughs> it'd be minus 400 Worley right now. Yeah, I mean, if that was his name, I wouldn't be as afraid. <laughs> yeah, I know. When you see that Aliyev, it's like, oh, man, he's, he's <laughs> Russian. You got to be careful. But, uh, look, Jack Hermanson's taking on Talis Latis, and we know Jack Hermanson went 0-2 in his first two stops in Brazil, but now he's not taking on an athletic specimen. He's taking on a guy on his way out. You think third time's going to be the charm for Jack the Joker? Uh, yeah, I think he's my pick in this one. Uh, he's only 8,300 on DraftKings. If he's going to get a win, he could pay that off. Um, he'll probably need a TKO at some point to do it, I think. Uh, I'm also worried against uh, about picking against the Brazilian in Brazil here, so I won't have too much Hermanson, but he's definitely uh, on my radar, and I'll have him in a couple lineups. He's my pick for sure. I think I'll probably fade Talos here. A fight that's really flying under the radar. I think it's an incredible fight. Ramazan Amiv versus Alberto Mina. Both these guys, I mean, I know my boy Amina's getting up there in age, but I would still consider him a prospect at 170 pounds. Obviously, we know the kind of performance Ramazan just had against Sam Alvey. Now he's moving down to 170. Which way are you leaning? Again, man, I'm afraid of those Russians. So if his name was different, maybe I'd have some more Mina in my lineups. But see, this guy's um, actually good, like, though. So what? I said this guy's actually good, though. Yeah, he's good. I mean, but if I'm making one lineup and I have to have someone here, I think I'd rather just save the money and do seventy six or $7,500 Mina and hope he can get that early finish, maybe a submission if Amib is trying to take it to the ground. I can see him wrapping up a submission. Um, but at, at the same time, my pick to win is Amib. So I, it's either going to be I'm going to fade it or I'm going to go both ways on this. Uh, I'm probably going to make 20 lineups total this week, so maybe I'll have like two or three of each, but I'm not going to go too heavy on The curtain jerker, Marcus Maluka Perez, he's taking on James Boknovic. Now, I have a sneaking suspicion that even though Boknovic has an 81-inch reach, 8-inch reach advantage, and uh, he's six foot four at 185 pounds, I feel like he might not belong in the big show, and I think the minus 325 price tag might be warranted here. But from a DraftKings perspective, what's your opinion? Yeah, I like Perez here. Uh, it's probably a Bocchanovic fade uh, and pay up for Perez where I can afford him. Uh, I like his inside-the-distance odds of minus 140, so he's got a really good shot of scoring high. The only problem is he's right there under Nunez and right above Dern. So you can't have all three of them, so you got to pick your spots. I'll have some of him and none of Bachman, but I won't be 100% on that's for sure. Well, Kyle, that's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battles. Good to catch up again, man. It's been a while, and uh, it doesn't stop here for 224 because you know next week we got a big card with UFC Chile as well. That's right, man. Can't wait. Glad we don't have another break coming. Absolutely. All the fans, make sure you follow Kyle at Big Marley 3. Kyle, any message for them before we talk next week? Nah, man. Good luck, everybody. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we can win some money. Yes, uh, we will win some money. That is a guarantee. Kyle, we'll speak soon, buddy. All right, man. Take care. And once again, that's why Kyle Marley is the DraftKings guy for half the battle. Now, Shaq, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC 224? Um, my fight to watch is going to be Elijah Zaleski Dos Santos or Sean Shukun. I think this is going to be uh I'm, I'm interested to see if Zaleski can uh, get Strickland to open up a little bit more because I think Strickland uh, could possibly be like a, a super underrated guy for the division. And I think Elijah can be as well. I mean, we've been having Elijah for a long time. I think the winner of the fight 
is in a top 15 position. At least going to find a top 15 guy next. Both of these guys are putting work along the way. I mean, just look at who Elijah's beating Amari, Keitaro, uh, Lyman Good, Max Griffin, some super underrated guys in Charlotte. 19 and 2 record. When he was the first guy to beat Tom Breeze, that went around Garcia. So, uh, whatever that fight's going to be in a prime position, that one's certainly. Yeah, 100%. I mean, anytime you get a fight with Elazu Zaleski Dos Santos, you have to be tuning in. Put him in there with a winner like Sean Strickland with a 19-2 and record. In Brazil, it has all the recipes for a fight of the night. I can't wait to watch that one. But for me personally, it has to be Kelvin Gastelum versus uh, Ronaldo Jacare Souza because I want to know, is Kelvin Gastelum going to fi- finally get over that hump and beat a top-five guy? Because, look, he's got some great wins on his resume. I mean, he beat Tim Kennedy. He beat Vitor Belfort. He went out there and beat Michael Bisbing, but now he's got to go in there against a current active top five guy in Ronaldo Jacare Souza. This is a spot that he stumbled on in the past, you know, when he fought Woodley, when he fought Weidman, even when he fought Magny at the time. So now he's got to prove, like, look, if I'm a title contender, if I'm a title challenger, I got to be able to beat Jacare. And for Jacare, he's still waiting on his first UFC title shot. He feels like he should have got that title shot a long time ago. So for him, he needs to come out here. And not just beat a guy like Kelvin Gastelum. He has to finish Calvin, Kelvin Gastelum to prove that, hey, I want to swim with the Sharks uh, at 185 pounds. I want to get in there with Yoel Romero, with Robert Whitaker one more time and uh, test my luck out. So the winner of this fight is going to be in a big place in the middleweight division. Now, Shaq, who is the fighter to watch for UFC 224? A fighter to watch is going to be uh, Boom Brian Kelleher, man. I mean, um, another thing is he is undefeated against Brazilians. Um, he already took out uh, Uri and he already took out Henan. I mean, now this is his third one. This is definitely the best Brazilian spot. But, I mean, if he can pull this off, bro. I mean, this guy went from being, you know, your your Friday night jobber to being a uh, top 10 uh, UFC fighter. I mean, just put it this way. When Henan Burrell was champion of the UFC, uh, Brian Kelleher was getting submitted by uh, Andy Main. So, if he can uh, pull this one off and beat a top five guy, perennial top five guy, I mean, that'll be huge for Brian Keller. That would have been he would have went down to Brazil uh, twice and uh, beat their uh, country, man. So he's my fighter to watch. He's super marketable, in my opinion. He's got a super tough fight. But uh, if he wins this, man, just uh, don't be shocked when they're pushing Brian Keller very heavy. Yeah, I mean, anytime you get a fight with John Lineker and you put him in there with a guy like Brian Keller, I mean, this is definitely one of the fights to watch, and Kelleher is definitely one of your fighters to watch. For me, the fighter to watch is Warley Alves. Look, man, he's a, for a kid that's only 27 years old, he already has been in there with Nordine, with Juban, with Colby Covington. He came out victorious in all those fights. He had to take his first two L's to Barberena and Kamaru Usman. Now he's starting a new streak. He went out there. He defeated the young kid in Poland. Now he's got a chance to come back to Brazil, to his homeland, and defeat a very tough Russian, a guy that wins most of the fights he's in, in Sultan Aliyev. And I feel like if Worley gets that momentum, we're going to be seeing him back in those top 25 matchups once again. You know, we could be looking at, uh, you know, Worley Alves versus Eliza Zaleski and Sean Strickland. We could be looking at those kind of fights potentially. So Worley Alves is my fighter to watch for UFC 224. Well, Shaq... It's going down this Saturday. They already know what to do. They got to go to bestfightpicks.com. We got two consensus max bets this weekend. If you want 15% off, use the promo code MATADOR. But as you already know, Shaka threw out this promotion. If you buy the one event VIP package for this weekend, and for some reason it doesn't profit, which by the way, it will profit, but if for some reason it doesn't profit, we'll offer you the next two events free. Isn't that right, Shaq? 
One hundred percent. I mean, if you wanna, if you wanna yeah, use the fifteen percent off on that one of NIP package, go ahead. But like I said, if it does not win, which it will win, uh, you get the next two events free. So I suggest everyone hop on that. Send us an email at bestflypicksgmail.com if you have any questions. We uh, answer all emails, all uh, DMs on Best Five Picks official. I mean, uh, we're here to uh, share the, the gift of Max Best season with everyone. Absolutely, huge weekend right now. Big weekend next week in Chile. Cannot wait. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Best Fight Picks Official. Follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. Follow Shaq at MMA Genius 05. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Hook up those five-star reviews on iTunes. Shaq and I will be back next week to break down UFC Chile. Another big card. Another opportunity. So until the next time, let's cash these bets. <laughs>